I get up, take a shower, have breakfast. I read the paper, brush my teeth. If I have phone calls to make, I make them. I've got my coffee now. I put on my lucky work boots and stitch up the lucky laces that my niece Meredith gave me. I head back to my office, crank up the computer. My lucky hooded sweatshirt is draped over the chair with the lucky charm I got from a gypsy in Saints Marie's de la Mer for only eight bucks in francs and my lucky Largo name tag that came from a dream I once had. I put it on. On my thesaurus is a lucky cannon that my friend Bob Rasandi gave me from Moro Castle, Cuba. I point it toward my chair so it can fire inspiration into me. I say my prayer, which is the invocation of the muse from Homer's Odyssey. Translation by T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, which my dear mate, Paul Rink gave me and which sits near my shelf with the cufflinks that belonged to my father and my lucky acorn from the battlefield at Thermopylae. It's about 10.30 now. I sit down and plunge in. When I start making typos, I know I'm getting tired. That's four hours or so. I've hit the point of diminishing returns. I wrap for the day. Copy whatever I've done to disc and stash the disc in the glove compartment of my truck in case there's a fire and I have to run for it. I power down. It's 3, 3.30. The office is closed. How many pages have I produced? I don't care. Are there any good? I don't even think about it. All that matters is I put in my time and hit it with all I've got. All that counts is that for this day. For this session, I have overcome resistance. There's a secret that real writers know that wannabe writers don't. And the secret is this. It's not the writing part that's hard. What's hard is sitting down to write. What keeps us from sitting down is resistance. Passages I just read are from a book titled The War of Art. And like the book called The Art of War, which is about effective war making, <laughs> this book is about the war that artists go through in the creation of art. It's written by Stephen Pressfield. He's an American author of historical fiction, nonfiction, screenplays. He wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. There are many lessons in this book, and it's a beautiful book. Number one, it's not that big. For folks who don't like to read much, uh, you could read this probably in a couple of evenings without trying very hard. Inside of it, though, is an interesting analysis of the human condition and the things that we do to ourselves that effectively talk us out of being who we could be. He mentions this term resistance. What is resistance? Well, here's a list. 
following is a list in no particular order of those activities that most commonly elicit resistance. Now, we're not into resistance yet, but th this list is going to give you some clues as to what type of endeavors you might pursue that you would encounter resistance in. And we'll dig into it more. The pursuit of any calling in writing, painting, music, film, dance, or any creative art, however marginal or unconventional. Two, the launching of any entrepreneurial venture or enterprise, for profit or otherwise. Three, any diet or health regimen. Four, any program of spiritual advancement. Five, any activity whose aim is tighter abdominals. You can hear his sense of humor and his lighthearted approach to what could be a life changing topic. Six, any course or program designed to overcome an unwholesome habit or addiction. Seven, education of every kind. Eight, any act of political, moral, or ethical courage, including the decision to change for the better some unworthy pattern of thought or conduct in ourselves. Nine, the undertaking of any enterprise or endeavor whose aim is to help others. Any act that entails commitment of the heart, the decision to get married, to have a child, to weather a rocky patch in a relationship. Eleven, the taking of any principled stand in the face of adversity. In other words, any act that rejects immediate gratification in favor of long-term growth health or integrity or expressed another way any act that derives from our higher nature instead of our lower any of these will elicit resistance think about that list think about how many of these things you have bumped up against in the course of your life and either pursued or talked yourself out of pursuing diet, health regimen, spiritual advancement, a program designed to overcome an unwholesome habit or addiction, education. Ha! Huh. How many people have often flirted with the idea of going back to school and how many people actually get off their butt and go back to school? How many people start that diet in January only to find an excuse not to continue it in January? What is it that, that, that prevents us from following through on these things? Any act that entails commitment of the heart. How long did it take you to ask your wife or your girlfriend out that first time? Or for single guys, how many times have you played through what it would be like to date a particular female? How come you haven't asked her out to dinner yet? How come you haven't asked her to marry you yet? Those are hard things, those commitments of the heart. And Stephen Pressfield says that the reason that we don't pursue these things, he bundles them into this thing called resistance. Which, as we continue on, cannot be seen, 
touched, heard, or smelled, but it can be felt. We experience it as an energy field radiating from a work and potential. It's a repelling force. It's negative. Its aim is to shove us away, distract us, prevent us from doing our work. That applies to so many things, doesn't it? We keep going on the title, the chapter titled Resistance is Insidious. Resistance will tell you anything to keep you from doing your work. It will perjure, fabricate, falsify, seduce, bully, cajole. Resistance is protein. It will assume any form if that's what it takes to deceive you. If you take resistance at its word, you deserve everything you get. Resistance is always lying and always full of shit. So now you're starting to get a sense of what resistance is. Something I think that you would find referred to as laziness if you subscribe to biblical teachings. And there's a lot of parallels between principles that people like Jordan Peterson or people like Jocko teach discipline or like Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. You can, if you read Proverbs, if you've never read the Bible, it doesn't matter whether you believe in God, church, any of that other stuff. If, if you at least would take the time and read through Proverbs a couple times and think about the concepts that are taught there. Laziness is, is mentioned a lot in Proverbs. Resistance is infallible. Back to the book. Like a magnetized needle floating on a surface of oil, resistance will unfailingly point to true north. Listen, meaning that calling or action it most wants to stop us from doing. This is beautiful. We can use this. We can use it as a compass. We can navigate by resistance, letting it guide us to that calling or action that we must follow before all others. Rule of thumb, the more important a call or action is to our soul's evolution, the more resistance we will feel toward pursuing it. Again, this book is is relatively short. He could spend pages and pages and pages on this chapter. Resistance is infallible. And really dig into how to apply this concept of resistance pointing us to the calling or action that we must follow before all others. Is that counterintuitive? I don't think so, but I've read this book. Maybe before I read this book, it would, it would not be, it would be counterintuitive. To carry that idea forward a little bit more, think about that thing in your life that you fantasize about. That when you're a little bit depressed or you're having a bad day, that thing that you wish you could be doing. Or when you look at yourself in the mirror that part of your body that most aggravates you and that you wish you could do something about. Or that relationship 
that is a nagging thorn in your side because you can't summon up the courage to address the shortcomings that you have with that person. These things that we don't want to do the most, Stephen Pressfield is saying we don't want to do them because we've let the resistance that our inner being, fighting with our inner being to prevent us from being who we could be, is preventing us from doing. Because it knows that if we would just take this one step and conquer just this one step, that we might take another step, and we might take another step after that. And you know what? We have no idea who we might be tomorrow if we just take this one step today. Jordan Peterson makes an allusion to the same concept when he says, if you want to change the course of your life, clean your room. A lot of people miss what he's getting at. Probably because their room is filthy. He's not talking down on people from a paternal perspective, talking to them like a child, go clean your room. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying exactly what I just said. If you take the first step to get your life in order, you may take the next step to get your life in order. If you get your room clean, you know what? You just might have that little dopamine hit, that sense of satisfaction, that appreciation for an orderly bedroom environment that you might wander out in the kitchen to get a drink and notice that the sink needs some attention. And then you might notice that, hey, the trash could use taken out. And then while you're out there, you might notice, you know, my car might look a little bit nicer if I just stop and wash it. And then the next day you get up and you're in this orderly environment, you're going to draw some energy from that orderliness. And you might wander outside of your bubble and do something the next day that you never would have expected yourself to do the prior day. And if it hadn't have been for you taking that first step, cleaning your room, getting your living environment in order, you wouldn't have the energy to go do those other things because you're procrastinating because you have a dirty room and I need to clean my room and I can't go do this because I need to do my dishes. You know what all that is? That's resistance. Just talking about it from two different angles. If you feel strongly about doing something and find yourself constantly thinking about that and then making excuses to not go do it, that's what he's saying. That is a compass that is pointing directly at the thing that you need to do the most. So we've spent some time talking about resistance, its implications, its manifestations. And he makes some interesting points that you're going to encounter once you once you start, you're never going to beat it. There's always going to be resistance. And I think that this would be a good time to draw a parallel to something that Jocko says. Discipline is freedom. If you're disciplined 
you're not going to have the beat down from resistance than you would be if you weren't disciplined. If your routine is to get up every day at six o'clock in the morning and go jog a half a mile and then come back and have a good breakfast, take a shower, get ready for work. Thinking yourself up to making that decision to do better with yourself, you're going to have you're going to run into resistance. Oh, I'm not going to run very fast. I'll be tired or I'll be tired at two o'clock. So I didn't sleep that extra 30 minutes or. Oh, I don't know if I could run that far or it's cold outside or it's raining or I don't feel like it. Discipline, getting up every day and doing that hard thing, whether you want to or not, believe it or not, will help you beat resistance back. And there will be a point if you keep at it a couple months down the road where resistance won't have a say in it. You'll be up, you'll be running without a second thought you might not want to do it as much some days as you do others but you're still going to do it because that's discipline so he talks about other other people's resistance to your accomplishment let's go back to this this uh getting up every day and and jogging you might tell your friends about that i'll be like okay cool i'll come with you And they might, they might not, depending on what kind of friends you have. But after a couple weeks of that, you run into your friends again. Hey, man, you still getting up and running? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to go? Yeah, man, I might go, I might go. They're never going to go. You know why? They're having to fight through that same resistance that you did when you made your mind up about it. And I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a little clue. Don't pattern your own perception of your successes and your conquering resistance. Don't, don't dwell in other people's acknowledgement of that because they have their own resistance too. So yeah, they sure would like to get up and go running with you, but just like you in the weeks and months and maybe years that led up to you making the decision to start having some discipline and start getting up and exercising. They're dealing with that in their own life and they're fighting that resistance in their own life and in their own mind. So they're not going to acknowledge you beating your resistance because they're dealing with their own. You could lose 25 pounds. You could lose 50 pounds and see one person before you started running see the same person six months later and have never seen them between the two. And the last time you saw them, you were 75 pounds heavier. You know what? They're not going to acknowledge that you've lost weight. They're not going to acknowledge that you're moving better. They're not going to acknowledge that you look like you're happier. No, because you know why? You know why? On that point, back to the book, the danger is greatest when the finish line is in sight. At this point, resistance knows we're about to beat it. It hits the panic button. It marshals one last assault and slams us with everything it's got. The professional must be alert for this counterattack. Be wary at the end. Don't open that bag of wind. Don't quit. Halfway through that set, it starts burning a little bit. And you start breathing a little bit hard. And you start sweating. And you feel that strange feeling like, I feel like I'm about to die. 
that's resistance, hitting you right in the cojones with everything it's got. But you know what? Bang it out anyway. Because next time you get back to that same set at that same weight, at that same place, you're not going to feel it. You're going to feel it a little bit later because you've already punched through it once. Back to the book. Procrastination is the most common manifestation of resistance because it's the easiest to rationalize. Further on the topic of procrastination, this is titled Resistance and Procrastination Part 2. The author says, never forget, this very moment, we can change our lives. There never was a moment and never will be when we are without the power to alter our destiny. This second, we can turn the table on resistance. This second, we can sit down and do our work. He goes on to talk about some other manifestations of resistance. He makes an example that people who get themselves in trouble chronically are experiencing resistance because trouble is a faux form of fame. It's easier to get busted in the bedroom with the faculty chairman's wife than it is to finish that dissertation on the metaphysics of Motley in the novellas of Joseph Conrad. Ill health is a form of trouble, as are alcoholism and drug addictions, proneness to accidents. All neuroses, including compulsive screwing up and such seemingly benign foibles as jealousy, chronic lateness, and the blasting of rap music at 110 dB from your smoke glass 95 Supra. Anything that draws attention to ourselves through pain-free or artificial means is a manifestation of resistance. Drama is a manifestation of resistance. When we drug ourselves to blot out our soul's call, we are being good Americans and exemplary consumers. We're doing exactly what TV commercials and pop materialist culture have been brainwashing us to do from birth. Instead of applying self-knowledge, self-discipline, delayed gratification, and hard work, we simply consume a product. And in doing so, we march from cradle to the grave, working our jobs, spending our dollars on all the nonsense that we're supposed to own. Not pursuing spiritual things or health things or charity work or college education. Drawing speaking Spanish, doing 25 jumping jacks in a row. And it's okay to do that. You can be the perfect American person. You can never be 
miss a day of work. You can never get a speeding ticket. You could always put 6% of every paycheck into your 401k account and save 15% of the rest of it in a bank account. You could have six months worth of wages stashed away somewhere and some emergency food and know how to hunt and fish and still never really live a fulfilling life. Stephen Pressfield says that it's resistance that keeps us from doing that. And I love the compass analogy. If you really want to find happiness in who you are and realize your full potential, look at that compass needle. Which direction is it pointing to? And then have some discipline. Experience some delayed gratification. Work hard. And you'll be able to look back after some period of time and see how much you've gained. I heard a yoga teacher say the other day after class was over. Appreciate. And I'm roughly paraphrasing it. Appreciate the person that you are today. Right now. And I think people need to stop and reflect sometimes because time goes so fast, especially when you work, especially when you have kids. I mean, maybe for people who don't, but time just goes racing by. And even if you're doing something daily to improve your health or work your way to speaking Spanish or learning how to tie flies, whatever it is, if you don't stop every once in a while, and look back at you a month ago and just spend a little bit of time reflecting and appreciate that you've grown. It's important to do this. On the topic of delayed gratification, this uh, this made me think about something that Jordan Peterson has said in his book, 12 Rules for Life, which unlike Stephen Pressfield's book, is uh, thick, dense, and and Jordan Peterson really digs into to- He takes some time to explore topics. And I'm glad that he does because this man, in my opinion, is really the revivalist, non-denominational preacher that the world needs. I've, I've learned more about spiritual truths, I think, from reading his book than I have from, let's just say, other, other, other endeavors in my life. In the chapter uh, Rule 7 in Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, Subtitled, Pursue What is Meaningful, Not what is, ex- what is Expedient. And he's speaking about the delay of gratification. When engaging in sacrifice, our forefathers begin to act out what would be considered a proposition, if it were stated in words, that something better might be attained in the future by giving up something of value in the present. 
Recall, if you will, that the necessity for work is one of the curses placed by God upon Adam and his descendants in consequence of original sin. Adam's waking to the fundamental constraints of his being, his vulnerability, his eventual death, is equivalent to his discovery of the future. The future. That's where you go to die. Hopefully not too soon. Your demise might be staved off through work through the sacrifice of the now to gain benefit later. It is for this reason, among others, no doubt, that the concept of sacrifice is introduced in the biblical chapter immediately following the drama of the fall. There is little difference between sacrifice and work. They are also both uniquely human. Sometimes animals act as if they are working, but they are really only following the dictates of their nature. Beavers build dams. They do so because they are beavers, and beavers build dams. They don't think, yeah, I'd rather be on a beach in Mexico with my girlfriend while they're doing it. Prosaically, such sacrifice work is delay of gratification, but that's a very mundane phrase to describe something of such profound significance. The discovery of that gratification could be delayed with simultaneously the discovery of time and, with it, causality, at least the casual force of voluntary human action. Long ago in the dim mist of time, we began to realize that reality was structured as if it could be bargained with. Let me read that again. Long ago in the dim mist of time, we began to realize that reality was structured as if it could be bargained with. We learned that behaving properly now in the present Regulating our impulses, considering the plight of others, could bring rewards in the future, in a time and place that did not yet exist. We began to inhibit, control, and organize our immediate impulses so that we could stop interfering with other people and our future selves. Doing so was indistinguishable from organizing society, the discovery of the casual relationship between our efforts today and the quality of tomorrow motivated the social contract the organization that enables today's work to be stored reliably, mostly in the form of promises from others. Very powerful. We began to realize that reality was structured as if it could be bargained with. Back to Stephen Pressfield's book. I want to leave you with a couple more, a couple more chapters, a little bit more reading. As well as with. I won't make it a plea. But maybe a sincere request that that you read this book. It's called The War of Art. And it's written by a writer. And it's about creating, right? Creative endeavors. But man, just about everything in this book applies to just about anybody trying to do anything. And when you start looking at yourself and paying attention to that compass that he talks about, it's such a powerful concept. What does resistance feel like? 
First, unhappiness. We feel like hell. A low-grade misery pervades everything. We're bored. We're restless. We can't get no satisfaction. There's guilt, but we can't put our finger on the source. We want to go back to bed. We want to get up and party. We feel unloved and unlovable. We're disgusted. We hate our lives. We hate ourselves. Unalleviated resistance mounts to a pitch that becomes unendurable. At this point, vices kick in. Dope. Adultery. Web surfing. Beyond that, resistance becomes clinical. Depression. Aggression. Dysfunction. Then actual crime and physical self-destruction. Sounds like life, I know. It isn't. It's resistance. What makes it tricky is that we live in a consumer culture that's acutely aware of this unhappiness and has massed all its profit-seeking artillery to exploit it by selling us a product, a drug, a distraction. John Lennon once wrote, Well, you think you're so clever and classless and free, but you're all effing peasants as far as I can see. This is resistance. And I'm sure that you felt it. And I hope that you haven't let it keep you keep you from living a fulfilled, enjoyable life. If you don't like your life, if you don't love your life, you might be facing a lot of resistance. You can, uh, like he said, get up and go to work and be a good father and be a deacon in the church and still not be the whole person that you're supposed to be. And there's a handful of, it's probably way more than a handful, but lots of other writers to talk about this idea from different angles and they give it different names. And uh, Stephen Pressfield is not a psychiatrist. Jordan Peterson is. I imagine that's why Stephen Pressfield's book is a quarter of an inch thick and uh, Jordan Peterson's is about two and a half. (laughs) Conquer that resistance. Discipline will help you. You may not always beat it. You may not always get up every day and go run. You might hurt yourself. You might sprain an ankle. Develop a shin splint. And then you might have to take a little bit of time off to recover. And then you know what happens? Resistance kicks in again while you're recovering and while you're not being disciplined to get up and run every day. So you have to climb back on that horse and beat that dragon back again. But you can do it. Check out the War of Art. It doesn't necessarily give you tools. To fight resistance. That's something that we all need to do ourselves. And you know what? You have to do it every day. And you know what else? You have to do it multiple times a day. But I'll tell you. Either it gets weaker. Or you get stronger. Because it does. Get easier. Every day, every hour, every moment, you beat back that resistance and you get up and go do that thing that that resistance compass is pointing to that it doesn't want you to do. The more time you spend 
following that compass needle, the further you get away from that epicenter, that strength, like that, that machine of resistance. I wish you luck with your personal endeavors. I uh, would, would hope that hearing this podcast reminded you of some things that you always wanted to do in your life or with your life or with someone. Things that resistance has beaten into a dusty bone-filled closet somewhere in the back of your psyche. I hope hearing this podcast will open that closet door and shake some of those cobwebs off of some of those old ideas and some of those old dreams. Hope you can beat back resistance and start making some strides towards becoming the person that you're meant to be. Good luck. I'm out.